0: You know, there's something about um, kids at Christmas and listening to them, um, and they have this wonder, they have this joy about Christmas that, you know, sometimes along the way that we possibly lose that wonder and joy as adults. You know what I'm saying? And they kind of help us keep that. Kids remind us that, you know, we had that wonder, we had that same joy about Christmas and Advent somewhere when we were their age, and when we see them getting so excited... And the things, you know, you know, the memories of the story and how they kind of get it messed up a little bit. But they remember, it just, it just does something to us. So I, I, I ask sometimes, what's, what, what happens with us? Why does that sometimes, that joy and that wonder that kids have, why does that leave us sometimes? Or when and how do we possibly lose that, that wonder and joy about Christmas and Advent? Or who, who do we allow to steal our joy at Christmas time, or any time for that matter, and sometimes as we talk about joy, it it can be stolen from us by the events of life. And I've been talking in the last few weeks, we've talked about, and uh, I appreciate Kevin saying shalom again, we talked about peace last week, we talked about hope the week before, and how all those themes are run from the very beginning of the Old Testament to all the way to the end of the New Testament. We see that hope we see peace, and today we're going to talk about joy. And I believe that's why Advent is so important. And I know the word Advent for some of you is maybe new, or you you know, you, have, you know, what is that? You know, I know it's Christmas. And for some of you, you have that deep in your tradition, and you remember the Advent candles, and you remember that word. But all of this is to help kind of keep us focused, y'all, during this season. Because I don't know about you, but I need that. There's so many other things going on, so many things we have to go to, and our calendars get so packed. It reminds us to get prepared to anticipate the coming of Jesus, not just for a day or two, but for the whole month, for these several weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And it forces us to have this perspective, not only in our rearview mirror where we look back to the past and remember Christmas's past and the joy and the wonder that came with that, but we look through our windshield and we look to the present and to the future of more joy and more anticipating as we move there. And there's so many things during Advent and Christmas that shake our senses, that shake our emotions, that shake our thoughts. I think about just the lights and the colors. I love the background, um, you know, things that are going on. That snow that's falling while we're singing the songs, you know, that's kind of new. And I like that, though, because it just kind of puts me at ease. I could just sit there and watch that, that snow fall on the screen and listen to those songs just for, forever, But there's a lot of things, the lights, the colors, the candles. We think about the cards that we get from people, the decorations, the presents, the food, the parties. We think about the songs, the plays that we see our kids in and maybe others, the stories, the characters that we see portrayed in in different ways. All of this during Advent reminds us that this celebration is something so much bigger than us and that it really, really matters and we need to focus on it. Not just for a couple of days, but for this whole season. So I ask you this morning, as I've been asking each week, you know, what what about your hope in this season of your life? What about the peace that you have in your heart this season? What has happened in 2018 that maybe has taken away some of your joy? What is your joy? What brings you joy this season? And what has possibly stolen your joy this season? Well, we've been looking at how hope and peace and now joy have this deep meaning, like I said, that runs all through the Old and New Testament. So today, I want us to look at that word, joy. In the Old and New Testaments, there are several Hebrew and Greek words. Last week, I specifically talked about shalom from the Old Testament um, but this, this week I'm not going to get into all those words because there's several for joy in both the Old and New Testament. But basically, and I hope, are we going to be able to have this on the screen, those, those two words that I had up there? An attitude of God's people, do we have that or no? No, we don't have that? Okay. Well, just listen to this. So I read this this week, and when we think about joy, and this is a great definition, it's an attitude God's people, when you think about God's people from the Old Testament all the way through the New, an attitude God's people adopted, joy is. It is an attitude God's people adopted not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? I'm gonna read it again. An attitude God's people adopted not. Now notice, adopted means that it it's not born naturally in us, is it? To have joy. It does it, it isn't always. So we have to adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. And when we look at the Old Testament, we think about some of the situations that the people, the Israelites that were called God's people that they were in, and they weren't always happy circumstances, were they? Sometimes they were very difficult circumstances. And as I think about that, I think about some of you today. As I was watching, and I said this in my prayer in the first service, as I was sitting on the front row watching some of the folks in our choir singing about joy in that cantata, I'm looking at each face and I'm going, I know what has happened in their life this, this year, and it hasn't been easy. I know what's happened in his life. I know what's happened. And, I, and I was looking across the hole and I go, there is a lot of difficult things that have happened in the season of these people's life, and where are they on Sunday morning? They're up here on this stage, and they're singing about the joy of Christ. Why is that? Because they have adopted not because of their circumstance, but they've adopted in their hearts because of their love um, and their hope in God's love and promises. And the other definition I had is the, the joy of God's people was not determined by their current struggles, but by their future destiny. And I thought about those same people as I looked at them. I go, that's right. Their joy, their joy, it's not because it's not determined by their current struggles, but by their future destiny. And so all through the Bible, yes, there's going to be struggles, yes, there's going to be difficult things that happen in our life, but that's not the end. There's something in our future destiny. There's eternal life where there will be no more of that, and we look forward to that with hope and anticipation, and because of that, I can live with joy. So this week, as I ran into some people, as I talked to some people, I talked to some people who... I called up somebody that is not able to go to church because of a medical condition, that they have a lot of difficulties just getting to church. And as I listened to her laugh several times in our conversation, I just go, how in the world does she have joy in the midst of that? I mean, it has been ongoing for her for many, many years. But she still had this joy in her heart, and I can only go to that. It's not determined by her current struggles but by her future destiny that she puts her hope and trust in that God has promised. And that encouraged me. And I thought of other people that I've saw this week, and I go, how is it? I know their situation. But they really have this this joy in their hearts that's, that's real, in spite of their circumstances. So I thought, what if we adopted that attitude? What if we had that kind of confidence in our future destiny, in spite of our current struggles? But we let things steal our joy, don't we? This morning I came in, I'm just going to let you know something, okay? So I came in this morning early, and there's always stuff going on. And there was just a couple of things that weren't as I had hoped or expected. And, you know, I just kind of lost my joy for a minute. I go, what is wrong with you, man? You know, you're the preacher preaching on joy this morning, and you have none. You were upset this morning because you had to do a couple of little things that weren't on the, you know, my agenda, Really? And we got them done and everything's going to be okay. But I thought, what in the world? Did it ever happen to y'all? You just kind of think, why am I letting this steal my joy? Why am I letting that person steal my joy? This circumstance, this is not, you know, eternal. It's a blip. Now move on. And there are many things in life that we think will bring us joy. And some of those things do bring us temporary joy. There's a lot of things right now that we are hoping we're going to get for Christmas, Right? There's some of you, some of you go, no, I got everything. I'm just tired of unwrapping packages, you know? But some of you are going, I'm looking forward to that, and I expect that under the tree. And you know what? But here's the deal that's going to bring you temporary joy for a while, but I can promise you it's not going to bring you eternal joy, is it? It's not. It's going to be temporary. Six months from now, a year from now, you're going to be wanting something else, and you go, oh, that's old stuff. I need a better phone, I need a bigger TV. I need a car with more bells and whistles. I need whatever. And we, and we think that, and it does bring us some temporary joy. I'm not going to lie to you. And, you know, I watch a lot of sports. And you know what the number one commercial is in sports? What do you all think it is? Don't say beer. that's close, but it's not. It's cars, is it not? And every car is made to say, if you really love your family, if you're really cool, you deserve this. And, you know, you just think about that. We think it'll make us happy for a while. And we think about our work and our accomplishments. And, yes, that does bring us joy, what we do for a living, our accomplishments. Yeah, they do bring us joy, but it's not eternal. Events, activities, hobbies, interests. I've been to a lot of Christmas parties already. Have you all? I've been to some musicals and kids, and all those things bring joy. Oh, there's my kid up there. Oh, didn't she do a good job? Didn't he do a good job? Wasn't that cute? That was great. But it's a temporary that points us to something greater than that. And relationships, people, obviously bring us joy, or at least they should. But sometimes in the midst of all our relationships and all our dealings with people, we can allow that to steal our joy, can't we? And that's not what Christ intended. So from thinking about the arrival of Jesus Christ into the world, the good news of great joy, how is that joy different? How is that joy different from the other things in life that may only give us joy temporary joy and it's because Jesus is eternal and it's hard for us to grasp that isn't it I've been to a couple of funerals in the last couple of weeks and as I, I was a part of one of those funerals but as I watched the people who have lost a loved one especially this time of year it's very difficult but I saw a joy and a hope even in the midst of their tears and their grieving that said I will see that person again and when I go to funerals where people really believe that and really put their faith in that, you know what? The funeral is much different. The graveside is much different. The going forward is much different. Yes, there's still grief. They go through the grieving process, they go through the different, you know, processes of that where I'm a little bit angry, I'm a little bit in denial, all those different things. But I eventually see those people coming back to joy and knowing that this is not the end. So this morning, I want us to look at a text from John, the Apostle John, and I want to look at 1 John. Now there's John, the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we looked at that in week one, but in this week I want us to look back towards the other end, towards Revelation. Right before Revelation there's First, Second, Third John, then Jude, then Revelation. We're going to look at that first letter that John wrote. And I want to look at that, and you'll see some similarities. You will notice the similarities, and if not, I encourage you to go back and read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and you'll see very similar. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, and that's going to be on the screen. Listen, listen to what John is saying. Now keep in mind, y'all, this is John writing probably 35 years or so after Jesus has left the earth. And he, it has tr- Jesus transformed his life, as we mentioned in week one, from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. It changed his life. Listen to what he says. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Do you realize how many times John wants you to know what I have seen with my eyes, what I have heard with my ears, and he even goes and says, what I have touched. I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus on a regular basis. I touched Jesus. All this stuff I'm writing about, this is 30-something years later, it still has had an effect on me. He was an eyewitness This isn't a myth that he made up. This isn't a legend. This isn't a a nice story to give us good feelings at Christmas. He's saying, I was there. I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. I touched Jesus. And he says it over and over again. That which was from the beginning, he realizes where Jesus came from. This, we proclaim concerning the word of life, that that life appeared. It came as a baby. He knew that. But he saw Jesus all grown up. He was with Jesus for three years all that time. And he says, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you that He is the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm writing this down, because I don't want to keep it to myself. We want your joy to be what? Complete. Thank you. I love it when you all answer my sentences means you're tracking with me. He says, your joy will be complete. And that's what his... His joy would not be complete till the day that he died, he was continuing to say, I got to tell you about that guy that I saw and that I lived with for three years. He transformed my life. And I saw him dead. John also was the only disciple that we know of that was at the foot of the cross when he died. He really saw him die. He saw Jesus say, John, take care of my mother. Mom take care of John. He saw that. It wasn't just something he is making up. He was there. And what's interesting to me, John writes this after Jesus has been born, like I said, after he's been crucified, after, excuse me, that he has been risen from the dead some 35 years. But before John met Jesus, I'm sure, I'm sure that John had joyful experiences. But I believe that John's um, joy was more self-directed. And what I mean by that is, is his personal joy, it was a joy for my personal joy, for his nation, the Jewish people. It was a limited joy. And when I think about that, like I told you about I made the confession this morning, that I let something steal my joy this morning. You know why? Because my joy wasn't really complete and what the whole thing that was going to happen this morning. I was going to let one thing mess me up. Because that was a selfish type joy. If it makes me happy then it matters. But if it doesn't, then I don't really care about it. And John was a little bit that way when he first started following Jesus. Well, how do you know that, Craig? Did you talk to him? Well, when we read the Gospels, we think about John. And Jesus was probably one of the disciples that said, when all the children were coming up to Jesus, they go, get those kids out of here. What are you doing? They rebuked him. And Jesus goes, what in the world? Do not send them away. Let them come. And he said he put them on his lap and he blessed them and he touched them. And so maybe John was thinking in a different way. There was another time when they were going through um, Samaria. And Samaria, you know, there was a little, obviously a lot of conflict there between Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus went in there and was trying to share the gospel, and the people were not welcoming to Jesus. They kind of rejected Jesus. So James and John said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and kill all these people that rejected you? And Jesus is going, what in the world? That does not make our joy complete. They rejected us, so let's kill them all. That makes me feel better about the message I came to bring. No, John, you're off. You're letting that steal your joy yes, it's sad. I know it bothered Jesus that he's offering them salvation, that he's opening himself up to them. And I know that rejection probably did hurt, but Jesus did not let that steal his joy. He kept moving and he knew that he was moving and he was going to die on the cross for those same people, y'all, that would reject him. And he knew that, but he did not let it steal his joy. There was another time when James and John went and then some, some of the gospel tells that the mother went with him and said, Jesus, I would like these two boys to be on your right and left. We want them to be your right and left hand men. And Jesus goes, Really? Do you really understand what that means? Oh, yes, they can handle it. They didn't know what they were talking about. And Jesus basically said, And then the other disciples found out about this and they were indignant. So you see where I'm going? Sometimes John's joy in the early days as he was developing into a Christ follower was very selfish and self centered, like my attitude was this morning. It was about what made me happy, what I liked, And John was kind of focused on that. But John was slowly and consistently being transformed by Jesus to be a fisher of men. And he was going through that process. His joy would be complete later in offering the love and good news of Christ to all. Why? What changed from being self-centered about his joy to out, outward, wanting everybody to experience that joy? It was a process for John just as it is for all of us. But when you and I believe the truth and love of of Jesus that was lived out ultimately, not only in his life, but is in his teaching, and then ultimately when John saw Jesus die on the cross, and he saw him on that cross say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. John heard those words, and it blew him away. How is that possible? Jesus wasn't kidding. The different people he healed, the different people he taught, the different people every day that he showed love to, he wasn't kidding. He really was dying for the whole world. And it had to do something to John internally going, it's not just about me. It's not just about the Jewish nation. It's about the whole world. God loves all of his creation. And that's why he came. And that joy started to resonate with John, I believe. So when we understand and believe the truth about the love that Jesus lived out in His life and in His death and in His resurrection, that, that it overcomes sin, it overcomes death, that becomes a reasonable response every day in my life. Yeah, there's traffic, but I have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Yes, everything didn't go the way I had hoped it to on that business deal, but I have forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Jesus Christ. Yes, there's things going on in my relationship with my wife and with my kids, but I still have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And I can always say, but, those things are temporary, but I have the eternity of forgiveness and eternal life. And that's something that should not steal our joy. Forgiveness from God, restoration to God, and eternal life with God, that's what true joy is. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus and his life and his love. And John's joy would not be complete without his connection to Jesus. And he knew that. Listen to what the Holy Spirit inspired John to write in his gospel. And these are things he remembered. And y'all, I don't know how John, 30 years later, remembers specifically what Jesus said when he was with him. Did he write them down along the way and pull that out? and decide to write this gospel. I don't know, but I know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But listen, in John's words, these are the things that he heard from Jesus. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete." He writes that. He remembers Jesus saying that. And what does he say in his letter that we just read? So that your joy will be complete. I'm telling you what Jesus told me 30-something years ago, and it's taken me maybe 30 years to finally get that through my skull, that our joy cannot be complete without that love of Christ. In John 16, listen to what Jesus says. Again, John telling us what Jesus said. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn. He's telling them, I'm getting ready to die on the cross. And they're all going, what? You're the Savior of the world. Saviors don't die on the cross, but he's telling them this. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but you will, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Isn't that ironic that Jesus before his death is talking about a baby being born and what that does to a mom. She has to go through that pain. And I can tell you after watching five, four of my kids being born, none of us men understand that. We can understand the love, but we do not understand what Jesus was just talking about that the pain they go through and then the joy they have afterwards. Only you women have that. It's an amazing thing. But Jesus used that special illustration. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, "...therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith." For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? For the joy set before Him. He endured all that because it was so joyful to see us finally recognize that we are forgiven and have that grace. It was worth it all to Him, the joy that was set before Him. The birth of any child should matter greatly, especially to the parents and family, The birth of Jesus mattered greatly, and it brought joy not only to his family, not only to Mary and Joseph, but to the whole world. And as we watch that and we see that again, and and people, how they portray that, we go, wow, wasn't that a special night that brought joy to them? But even if you have heard the story, know the story, can tell the story, without even having to look at Luke or Matthew, there's still something that never ceases to put things into perspective and bring joy to us about that story. And again, it is joy that is an attitude God's people adopt. Not because of their happy circumstances or even their unhappy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. The joy of God's people is not determined by our current struggles, but by our future destiny. And that's what joy is all about. I want to close this morning... With a story, a lot of y'all may have heard of Lee Strobel. He has written the book "The Case for Christ." Lee Strobel was a uh, writer for the Chicago Tribune for years and years, a journalist and a really good writer. And um, he had was an atheist for a long time. And his wife started going to church, and slowly, he tells in lots of his books how God was working on him through his work and through the things that he did to discover who was this. Christ, this Jesus. And as he always, as a journalist, would investigate everything he reported on, all of a sudden in his life he was faced with this I've got to find out about this Jesus as a journalist. And so in this particular book he writes, The Case for Christmas. Listen to this story. He says, While working as a journalist, um, Lee Strobel was assigned to report on the struggles of an impoverished inner city family during the weeks leading up to Christmas. And uh, he was an atheist at the time. So he met with this uh, family, the Delgados. uh, There was a 60-year-old grandmother and her granddaughters. Her name was Perfecta. Her granddaughters were named Lydia and Jenny. And they had been burned out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-room apartment on the west side of Chicago. He says, as I walked in, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, no pictures, only a small kitchen table and a handful of rice. That's it. They were virtually devoid of any possessions in this apartment. In fact, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny owned one short-sleeved dress each plus this one thin gray sweater between them. And when they walked a half mile to school through the biting cold, Lydia would wear the sweater halfway there and then she would take it off and give it to her sister for the rest of the way. But despite their poverty and the painful authorities that kept Perfecta, the grandmother, from working, she still talked talk confidently about this Jesus and her faith in Jesus. She was convinced that he had not abandoned them. I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was this gentle feeling of hope and peace. So Lee Strobel completed the article, then he moved on to some, some more assignments that he had. But when Christmas Eve arrived, he found his thoughts drifting back to this Delgado family. That he saw this amazing joy in the midst of their situation. And he said, I couldn't understand their unflinching belief in God's providence. He says, I continue to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith. And yet seemed happy. while well, I had everything I needed materially. But lacked faith. And inside I felt as empty and as barren ...as their apartment. In the middle of a a slow news day, Strobel decided to pay a visit to the Delgados. When he arrived, he was amazed at what he saw. Readers of his article had responded to this family. They wanted to know, who is this family that doesn't have anything? We want to help them. And people had responded in an amazing way... He says uh, uh, it was, uh, they were filling up the apartment with donations. Once inside, he says he encountered new furniture, new appliances, rugs, pictures on the wall, a large Christmas tree, and all kinds of presents around there. Bags of food and a large selection of warm winter clothing for um, the grandmother and her girls. And readers had even donated a generous amount of cash to this family after reading the article. But it wasn't the gifts that shocked Lee Strobel, he said. An atheist in the middle of this Christmas generosity, He couldn't figure this out. It was the family's response to these gifts. Listen to what he says. As surprised as I was by this outpouring, I was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away as much of their newfound wealth. When I asked Perfecta why, she replied in halting English, Our, neighbor, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want. Us to do. That blew me away. I, if I had been in their position at that time in my life, I would have been hoarding everything, he said. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all these goodies. And again, her response amazed me. This is wonderful. This is very good, she said, gesturing towards the large uh, group of presents. We did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. But, she added, it is not His greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. That is Jesus. To her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything. More than all these material possessions. More than comfort. More than the security of that load of cash and presents. And at that moment, something inside of me wanted desperately to know this Jesus because in a sense, I saw him in perfecta and her granddaughters. They had peace despite poverty. While I had anxiety despite plenty, they knew the joy of generosity while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope while I looked out for myself. They experienced the wonderful of the spiritual while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something made me long for what they had, or more accurately, for the one that they knew. Wow! Amazing, isn't it? And those that family had this joy that he wanted so desperately. But this was just one piece of the puzzle, just like for John. God was developing in Lee Strobel this joy that he didn't have, that he was skeptical of, but he kept seeing it. He saw it in his family. He wrote the article and then was moving on to other things, but something inside of him kept saying there's something to this. Those people aren't just naive. They're not just crazy. They really believe in this hope. They really have this joy, and it's something deeper than that. And he finally experienced himself. And I'm glad to say that, as you all know, Lee Strobel became a Christian and is a great Christian writer now, and he continues to write. And he connects with those who are skeptical in our world, because there's a lot that are. But he was there, and he connects with them. So this morning, as we think about all that we have, as we think about all the things that are maybe going through our head and that we're worried about, I hope we don't become like, I did this morning. And allow things that don't really matter to steal our joy. But allow the gift of Christ coming to the world to really transform us. And to have that joy. In spite of our circumstances. That we know what our eternal destiny is. We know what we're called to do in this world. And even though our circumstances are not always going to be great and happy. And what we want. We still have the opportunity to proclaim Christ. And show Him in our lives. And I hope that we'll do that. So we're going to offer an invitation right now. Kevin's going to come back up, as we do each week. And if there's somebody here today that's listening to this, and you're saying, that all sounds great. But I I want to have that joy, but I don't know, I'm skeptical. Of course you are. John was skeptical for a while. Lee Strobel, there's been many who have been skeptical. It's okay to be skeptical, but do your research. Look around and you will experience that joy that Lee saw in other people and that we can. So if you need to make a decision today to name Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, and start that walk like John did, like Lee did, like many of us had. We invite you to do that this morning. Or if you're looking for a church home and we're not perfect, and you know what? We have a preacher that lets people steal his joy and acts like a jerk sometimes. And we have our moments, don't we? We all have moments where we're skeptical and we let things steal our joy. But we want to be a church that always goes back. We need to be reminded by the candles, by the songs, by being together that we are blessed. We should have a joy more than anybody else because all that other stuff will eventually go away and we will eternally be with God. And He wants us to keep that joy first and foremost in our minds and in the way we operate every day. So we're going to offer that. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing this song. And if you have a decision today, we invite you to come forward as we sing together.
1: I want to add to that, this could quite possibly be the best Christmas ever. And part of that is because we have in fact received, or can receive, the greatest gift ever. But with that comes um, giving of ourselves. As we we're singing this song this morning, um, I want to encourage you. If you're standing there and you're on the fence about whether to give your heart, make a move. There's people here that are uh, eager and they're anxious and they're they're wanting to pray with you and they want to introduce you to our to our Messiah.
0: y'all sit down just for a minute i got a family here the more family y'all turn around and face everybody this is jeff and alicia and dalton have come this morning and we had a great lunch the other day at the mexican restaurant thanks a lot that was good stuff and uh we had a great talk these people love people and they love the church and they serve the church and we're excited and i know we're excited to get dalton in our youth group yeah we are all right and uh absolutely yeah and so we uh, i know y'all are coming today to be a part of southwest and i want to say thank you we're honored that you're going to place your membership that you're going to be a part of serving with us i know you will um that's something that's special to y'all so we're just glad so i'm gonna ask y'all to just hold hands and take my hand together here this morning and i want you to say something i know we've already talked this y'all all believe this i believe that jesus is the christ the son of the living god my Lord, my Lord and my Savior, my Savior. And, my and my life. Amen. Welcome to Southwest, y'all. Absolutely, buddy. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. You. Y'all just have a seat or go back where you were. That's fine. Okay. Y'all make sure you tell the Moors welcome this morning. And uh, we're going to go into a time of communion as we talk about the birth of Christ. Um, we know that his birth was for a purpose, a tough, difficult purpose, and that was to die on a cross to forgive us of our sins. And he knew how difficult and and hard that was going to be. But as we read in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he was willing to do that. So this morning we're going to remember that, and we're going to uh, take communion together in just a minute. We're going to read a, a scripture, and then one of our elders is going to come and pray, and then our folks in the back will serve you communion. If you're a guest with us today, um, you don't have to be a member of our church. We invite you, if you're a believer, to be a part of Remember in Christ, death and resurrection through communion. But let's read that passage. I'm going to read this passage uh, this morning. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. And again, there's John's words inspired by the Holy Spirit to remind us of who Jesus really was.